Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 16 of Genesis chapter 2. And we're continuing to look at verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And we've discussed this already in previous studies. God set up the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is, it was a tree like any other tree. But God made that tree different. He set it apart from all the other trees of the Garden of Eden by placing a commandment upon it. Thou shalt not eat of it. You can eat of the tree to the right or to the left or any other tree in the garden, but not that one tree. And that's what the law of God does. The law tells man, you may do this, you may not do that. You will not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. And so forth. God's law gives direction to man. And if we follow the law, if we obey the law, that is good. If we disobey the law, if we transgress the law, that is evil. And that's why this tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as Adam obeyed, It was good. There was no transgression. But once Adam and Eve disobeyed, then they experienced evil. They now had knowledge through the experience of overstepping the boundary of going beyond the law, the ancient landmark that God established, and that is evil. That's what sin is, is the transgression of the law. And it's very much like a lawn, which is protected by a fence and has a no trespassing sign. The owner owns the property and all others are not allowed onto the property. If you go beyond the boundary of the fence, if you go onto the land where the sign is posted, no trespassing, you have transgressed. That's exactly what God has done with his laws that are found throughout the Bible. Actually, the Bible itself is a law book in its entirety, and God has established laws, boundaries that govern his creature man, and we are to follow. We're obligated. We're duty-bound because we're not independent agents, as we like to think. We're servants of God. That's how God has created man, to serve him, to obey him. And when we do follow the law and keep God's commandments, we are happiest. We will also have the greatest blessing, and it will be the best for us and others in our life if we stay on the right side of the law. But it's when we go beyond the bound and we eat of the tree, as Adam and Eve did, 
we transgress the law, all kinds of problems come, all kinds of difficulties enter our lives, and just look at all of the sinful pleasures that man partakes of, and again and again you can see negative consequences. And that's what happens here is God first, he establishes the law, thou shall not eat, And then he reveals the negative consequence if you disobey him and do eat. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here is my law. If you break my law, here is the result. The negative consequence is you will die. And ultimately, that's how it is for us today, too, in whatever sin that we're involved with or have broken in our life. What does the Bible tell us? The very same thing. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's restating it, but it's saying the identical thing that Genesis 2.17 says That God told Adam, in the day you eat, thereof you will die. Thou shalt surely die. Which literally is dying, thou shalt die. Dying you will die. And that was the consequence for breaking the law. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, Even when we were dead in sins, were dead in sin, because we have broken the commandment, broken the covenant. We have again stepped over the line that God established in his royal law. And if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of all as a lawbreaker, as someone now subject to death, because the wages of sin is death. As the Lord also says, he tells us this in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's the consistent teaching of the Bible from the beginning, when God established the law in the Garden of Eden, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is the law of God from beginning to end. If you or I break the law, we die. And that's what sin brings us. Now, as with Adam and Eve, after they broke the law, that day they died in their soul. As it says here in Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But they also brought upon them physical death, which came a little later. Rather than living indefinitely, potentially forever, They died after a few hundred years. And I know today people would love to live to be 930 years. They would act as though that were eternity. But really, 930 years is nothing. And we know it's nothing because here we are living in a point 
thousands of years, long after Adam lived his life and died. And death, no matter how long you might live, a thousand or a thousand years twice told, as Ecclesiastes says, death makes any span of life in this world vain. Ultimately, it makes it temporal. It's only eternal life that is true life. And of course, that's the life that God gives by grace through the faith of Christ to his people. We, the children of God, the elect, live forever, and therefore we have genuine life. We have life eternal. Well, let's go back to Genesis 2, and we're going to move on to verse 18 now. And it says in Genesis 2:18, And Jehovah God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Well, at this point, God has created Adam, the man. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And he has not yet created Eve, the woman. And so for a very short period of time, Adam, the man, is living on the earth alone. He has no mate. There's no woman, no female. And obviously, when God says it is not good that the man should be alone... Right away, we understand, well, yes, he needs a mate. There needs to be a female so there can be procreation. There can be children that are born, and that's the only way mankind can develop, and there can be future generations. So, yes, of course, it is not good that the man should be alone. And we see that very quickly. And so God says, I will make him a help me for him. And then in this chapter, he does make the woman and Eve comes to life. But again, yes, that's the historical level. That's the correct historical understanding of why God made woman. But what about the spiritual teaching As we know that Adam is a figure of him that was to come. Adam's a type and figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in the same passage, when God causes Adam to experience a deep sleep, and then he takes one of his ribs and makes the woman, well, we see the spiritual dimension. We understand the gospel significance of that. That Adam there is a picture of the Lord Jesus who dies and from his side comes forth the woman, the bride of Christ, the eternal church. Well, if that's the deeper spiritual meaning, then this also must have a deeper spiritual meaning. When God says it is not good that the man should be alone. That has to have a spiritual application also as the man, Adam, is a type of the Lord Jesus. To say it another way, it's as though God is saying it's not good for Christ, the Lord Jesus, to be alone. Or it's not good for God himself to be alone. And we wonder about that. First of all, we know that within the Godhead, God is not alone. The Lord said this in John 16, verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. 
So we understand within the Godhead and God is one God, yet three persons is how the Bible reveals him. And so there is fellowship, companionship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is not alone in that sense. But, you know, when you look up the word alone that's used here in Genesis 2.17, it does lead us several times to the person of God. For instance, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, it says, And Hezekiah prayed before Jehovah and said, O Jehovah God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Thou art God alone. God is God alone, isn't he? Yes, and that's how the Bible refers to him in several places, God alone, where it says in the New Testament, God only wise. Well, the word only can also be translated alone. God alone wise. Or in Psalm 148, verse 13, it says, Let them praise the name of Jehovah, for his name alone is excellent. God's name, Jehovah's name alone is excellent. This word repeatedly points us to God. But more specifically, when God says in Genesis 2.17 concerning the man, Adam, the type of Christ, it is not good that he should be alone, that the man should be alone, and I will make a helpmeet for him. We know that the helpmeet that is made is the woman, Eve, who is a picture of the eternal church, the bride of Christ, the body of believers, the whole company of the elect, they're all different ways of referring to the same people, those chosen by God before the world began to salvation, to obtain salvation. And so God was alone in one sense, yet the statement is made is not good that God be alone. And so far in the creation account, everything is good. Everything God has made is good. According to the last verse in Genesis 1, all God made, the animals, man, the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, the celestial bodies, every bit of the creation was good. And now God says it is not good, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, we have to wonder about that, that God says it's not good that man should be alone. And how can that refer to God himself, to the Lord Jesus? How could it not be good for God, who alone is exalted, who alone is wise, who alone made the heavens, how can it not be good for God to be alone? What does God mean? Well, I think we start to get the answer when we look at Isaiah 63, verse 3. It says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, who undergoes the wrath of God alone. 
he experiences the wrath of God for the sins of those elect, the ones predestinated to salvation. Their sins are laid upon him, but then he is the one that must experience the wrath of God by himself alone. And see, God is alone here in the sense that he is bearing the sins of his people. And when Christ bears the sins of his people, he is sin-laden. And he did bear the sins of his elect people at the foundation of the world. That's when he made payment for their sins. So it could be said, it is not good that the man should be alone. In John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And we can only understand that corn of wheat that falls to the ground and dies as a picture of Jesus himself. And once he dies, now he dies alone, just as the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year alone on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifice. And that was a picture of the atoning work of Christ. Christ atonement for sin, the payment made for sin was accomplished alone. Of the people, there were none with him. Now, after he dies alone, he brings forth much fruit. And again, that would be the whole company of the elect, all that God has saved. See, that's the idea here. In Genesis 2, verse 18, Jehovah God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that Christ is alone bearing the sins of his people. Why is it not good? Because he has become sin for them. In 1 Samuel 26, if you look up the two words, not good, they're not found all that often. They're found several times. And here in 1 Samuel 26, David in verse 13 went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people, and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered, and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This is when David snuck in and took a piece of Saul's clothing, and he could have killed him, but he didn't. And now he's escaped and is crying to Abner, letting Abner know he failed to guard and protect the king. And then it says in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 26, This thing is not good that thou hast done. Now there's the two words. It is not good that the man should be alone. And David is saying to Abner, what you did is not good. Now look what comes next. As Jehovah liveth, you're worthy to die. 
You are worthy to die, Abner, because you have not kept your master Jehovah's anointed. You see, that's probably the best way of understanding what God is saying in Genesis 2.17. It is not good that the man be alone. That is, Christ is alone, suffering the wrath of God, and it's not good because he's bearing his people's sins and is worthy to die. He is dying. Again, when Jesus bore sin, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that's when Christ died. And that's when, as we'll read later, when Adam experiences the deep sleep, that is going to really be a picture of what Jesus has already done. And the woman comes forth as a result. And so here, the spiritual meaning of God saying it's not good the man should be alone is really a statement indicating that Christ had to suffer and die. It was not worthy for him to live. He must die in making payment for the sins of his people. And so then God says, I will make him a help me for him. Now, that, again, would relate to the whole company of the elect. But we'll have to pick this up when we get together in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.